Ah yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Isaiah in Isaiah 28 verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God, and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word, line upon line. soldiers surrounding the Apostle Peter with the king having every intention to execute Peter and Peter making a clean escape. Let's uh, look at this and see what lessons we can learn from Acts chapter 12. We'll open with a quick prayer and then get straight into the study. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you again and praise you and thank you so much for your scriptures and so much for the faithful brethren that precede us and the lessons that we can learn from your scriptures and from their example. We pray, Father, that you'll be with us this evening as we study Acts chapter 12, and, and help us, Father, to get as much uh, encouragement and guidance as we can from these ancient texts. We thank you, Father, and we ask your blessing on the study now, in Jesus' name. So Acts chapter 12, we'll begin here in verse one, and it says here in Acts chapter 12, verse one, now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to do evil to certain members of the church, to vex certain of the church. Now about what time? Remember in Acts chapter 11 where we left off after the Gentiles received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and everybody was, you know, the, the Jews were contesting or con confronting Peter about baptizing the Gentiles and, and fellowshipping with them. And he explained everything that happened, the vision that he had, and they all praised God and accepted that the Gentiles, that salvation had opened to the Gentiles. And then at the end of the chapter, it said this, verse 25, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul. So we have to remember that this is a letter from Luke to Theophilus 
to support Theophilus's defense of Saul. So this we really have to try to understand the connection uh, in chapter 12 to this intention that, that Luke is writing. And so he says here that Barnabas went to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought Saul to Antioch. And it came to pass that for a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught many people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. So they're all in Antioch. These prophets come to Jerusalem, uh, from Jerusalem to Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas, so, so Saul goes, uh, Barnabas goes looking for Saul, he finds him, this prophet comes and says there's going to be a famine, and so they send relief to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Saul. So that's the time, it's at, it's at this time, when, when Saul is in Jerusalem. About that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to do evil to certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So, you know, he didn't do it personally. Basically what that's saying is he had uh, James beheaded. So he had, he had James beheaded. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. So we have to remember here that this is uh, Herod Agrippa, and Herod is not a Jew. He's, uh, he's an Edomite, Iodomia. So he's an Edomite, and the Jews uh, and the Edomites were not friends. And the Jews resented the fact that this Edomite, uh, according to the Roman politics, was allowed to rule over them. So they didn't accept Herod. At the same time, Herod is doing all he can to try to be accepted of the Jews. So when he sees now that killing James pleased the Jews, well, he, he now wants to kill Peter as well in order to get into their good books. Then were the days of unleavened bread. So it was at the time of the days of unleavened bread. So they had the Passover. They're now in the days of unleavened bread. And when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers. And this is where I was saying earlier, where you know they were just dealing that that man was just dealing with one police officer here a, a quaternion is four soldiers and it is four quaternions so four squads 16 soldiers are are looking after peter so it says here that he arrested him and put him in prison and delivered him to four squads or quaternions of soldiers to keep him intending and it says here after easter uh, we know that Easter doesn't come into the church until 300 years later. So this is just a translation issue. If we actually look at Easter, we'll see it's the Greek word Pascha, which actually means Passover. So it's the Passover. And they would refer to the Days of Unleavened Bread and that whole period, that whole week, as the Passover season. So he's intending that after the Days of Unleavened Bread are over, to bring him forth to the people and execute him. So he doesn't want to execute him, uh, and he, he knows not to execute uh, Peter during the days of unleavened bread because the Jews are observing their 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 feast But immediately after the feast he's going to behead Peter the way he beheaded James and get in the, the good books of the Jews So so Peter then 
is surrounded by these 16 soldiers. Maybe they're in shifts looking after him. Uh, and after Passover, after the Days of Unleavened Bread, he's going to be executed. Now, verse 5 is very interesting. It says, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And then, you know, a lot of sermons will, will make light of this because if you drop down to verse 14, uh, Peter actually does get released. And when we come down to verse 14, it says, And when, so he's, he's knocking at the door, and she says here, And when she, this is the, the servant lady, the servant girl that answers the door, Rhoda, when she knew Peter's voice, so he's knocking at the door, who is it? Tells us Peter, so she recognizes Peter's voice. She did not open the gate for gladness. She couldn't, she couldn't believe it. She ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate, and they said to her, you are crazy. In verse five, it says they're praying without ceasing, and then when their prayers are answered, and Peter is released and he knocks on the door, they don't believe it. And she comes and she tells them, Peter's at the door, they say, you're crazy, you're mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so, that it really was him at the door. And they said, so first you're crazy, now it's not him, it must be his angel. So let's just say for, let's just think about this. We have this sense of superiority that, you know, if it was us and we were praying for Peter and he was released and, and he knocked at the door, we'd say, oh, our prayers are answered. Open the door. Welcome, Peter. Congratulations. God, God be praised. We're so spiritual. My question is this. What if the early church is superior to us or was superior to us in their spirituality? What if, what if they were not crazy? What if their response was the right response? And we're the ones that are out of tune with God's word. So, so let's read this again. Let's read this passage again. And let's give the early church the benefit of the doubt. Let's not, let's not just automatically assume that they're spiritually immature. They don't know what they're doing. You know, Luke actually says that the apostle Paul is with them that he, he delivered the aid to Jerusalem, and so he's there with the brethren in Jerusalem. So do we assume that the Apostle Paul was in a spiritual imbecile as well? Let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, and let's read this passage carefully and see what it actually says. So it says now that Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So the question we have to ask is, what were they praying about? What was their expectation? Because they just witnessed James being beheaded. Earlier Stephen was stoned to death. Now it's Peter's turn. Are, are they assuming that if they just pray hard enough, Peter will be released? Or is their expectation that Peter actually will be martyred? And the content of their prayers may be something else other than God, we just, you know, we're Christians and we just want to have a good time. We're Christians and we just want to be comfortable. We're Christians and you promise that no matter what, you'll never allow any harm to come to our physical flesh. And so we're, we're entreating you now, don't let any harm come to Peter. Is that the way the early church thought? Or did they have a different expectation? And were they more spiritually mature than us, who just think Christianity is just good time, good time? Or is it about sacrifice and martyrdom. And so here he says, 
they, they prayed without ceasing. And when Herod would have brought him forth, so now the days of unleavened bread are over, it's now time to kill him, as he did with James. The same night, so it's the, the next morning he's going to be beheaded, but that same night, it says, look, look what it says. So, is Peter in a panic? Is Peter concerned? It says, that same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He's going to be beheaded the next morning. And is he in a panic? Is he sweating? Is he freaking out? Or is he sleeping like a baby? It's all good. So that, that, that's how Peter's approach to this is. Okay, this is my time. And he's bound with chains. So there he is, bound with chains. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. So you've got two, so it's uh, four squads of four. And so maybe they're doing this in shifts. So the, the, this set of four, two are sleeping with him, one on each side. And the other two are at the door. And so there's just no way, and he's bound in chains. So there's just no way he's, he's, he's getting anywhere. But he's sleeping like a baby. It's like, it's all good. Now, why would he sleep like a baby? Remember how Acts opened, where Christ said to him, and these are in red letters because these are the words of Jesus Christ. So Christ says, he, you know, they wanted to know, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and Peter witnessed when Stephen was stoned to death that his face shone like an angel and he was in perfect peace. And as they were stoning him to death, he was blessing them and praying for them. And Peter understood that that was fulfilling this scripture. That they are to be not just not, not witnesses, but martyrs. They are to be martyrs. And every single one of them was martyred, except for the Apostle John. Because that was what they were called to. And so Peter is just very resolved. This is my time. And it, it, to me, it's quite clear that the church understands this as well. And the content of their prayers is something different than what we would pray. Who we believe that nothing evil, no, no harm should ever come upon us. That, that if God allows anything to happen to us, somehow God is unfaithful. He's broken his promise. But here's the promise. That you shall be martyrs for me. It's an honor, it's a, it's a glory for you to be my martyrs. And Peter's at peace. So he says here, again, going back to verse, verse 6, that when it was time for Herod to bring him forth, the same night Peter is sleeping soundly between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. So he's not going anywhere. He knows it. This is it. It's over. James, James was uh, beheaded before the days of unleavened bread. Now it's my turn. There's no, there's no escape here. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shone in the prison. And you know what? Peter is sleeping so soundly that it's not just, Hey, Peter, come on, let's go. I'm here. Peter's fast asleep. So the angel has to strike him on the side and raised him up saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird yourself and bind on your sandals. Do, do up your shoelaces. Let's go. And so he did. 
And he says to him, Cast your garment about you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he wasn't, he wasn't sure if what was really happening was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. So this tells you just how real the vision that he had earlier in Acts chapter 10 was. When the, the, this sheet came down from heaven three times, it must have been so real that when he came out of it, he realized, oh, that was a vision. And now this is reality, but it's so real that it's, it's like the vision. So maybe this is just a vision. And he's just kind of going with it, thinking, okay, what's God telling me now? Uh, so he's not sure. He thinks it's a vision. When they were past the first and second ward, so maybe these are now the, the, the squads, there's now first and second, they came unto the iron gate that leads unto the city. So there they are now, they're free, they just have to get through this gate, and then they'll be in the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out, and they passed on through one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. So the angel now departs from him, and when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod. And that's another thing about the vision, that he really didn't have the expectation to be freed. So the way he's trying to explain it in his mind is, this must be a vision, because he's fully expecting to be executed. And the church is fully expecting him to be executed. And so now as he's being released, he, he's responding the same way the church did. That when he's banging on the door and the church is saying it's not him, it couldn't possibly be him, in the same way, when he's released, he's thinking this can't be true because he's fully expecting to go down. He's fully expecting to be executed. And he's spiritually mature enough. He's spiritually mature enough to be at peace. He believes in the resurrection that strongly. It's, it's like Abraham. When Abraham is told to sacrifice his son Isaac and, and he accepts it. This is coming from God. God cannot lie. So clearly, Isaac must be, God must be able to raise him from the dead because God can't lie. And so when, when, when Abraham comes to that resolution, then God says, don't harm the child. And in the same way, when Peter comes to the resolution that, okay, it's my time to be martyred, then God says, it's okay, not yet. Now, for sure God has sent his angel. Now, now I'm not confused anymore. This wasn't a vision. God really did send his angel to release me and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. So the Jews had an expectation for Peter. And Peter had that expectation as well. He wasn't going, but now he's been delivered from that expectation. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. So, you know, it's like there are, there are always these brethren that they're in the center. They're the brethren that are full of hospitality. So if he's going to go somewhere, like, where, where, oh, I know, I'll go to John Mark's mother, because that's where the brethren will most likely be. So he goes there, where many were gathered, and that's, that's what he expected, that that's where they would be. So many were gathered there, together, praying. So they're all there praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to listen, named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, so she's there, who is it? It's me, Peter. She knew Peter's voice. She didn't open the gate for joy. She was just thrilled. That is Peter. 
again, is showing you her, their full expectation was for Peter's execution. And so now she's just so beside herself with joy. Instead of opening the door, she runs in to tell everybody else that Peter's at the gate. And they said to her, you are crazy. Now, again, we have to ask ourselves, are they crazy? Are they silly? Are they immature? You know, do we look down on them because, you know, we're just so spiritual? We're the giants and they're the spiritual midgets? Or is this an appropriate response? That we're not expecting Peter at all to be released. We are fully expecting him to be martyred. And now you're telling us he's at the door? No, you're, 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 you've lost your mind. But she constantly affirmed. She had to really, 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 really convince them that he really is at the door. That it was even so. Then they said, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And, and, and by the way, as he's banging down the door, he's at risk. He's just been released. And the noise that he's making trying to get in is going to attract attention. And he could be rearrested. So he continues knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. The word means confused. There he is. This, this doesn't make any sense at all. There's Peter. This is crazy. So it shows you th these are not spiritually immature brethren. In all likelihood, the Apostle Paul is among them. And they have been praying earnestly for Peter. And now they're confused. And so we laugh and say, oh, you know, they, this is the thing they're praying for and they get it and they don't believe. No. Maybe they were praying for something else. Maybe they really understood the scriptures. And they understood that Paul, Peter, is going to be martyred. And so now let's pray that he has a glorious martyrdom. Let's pray that he have a faithful martyrdom. Let's pray that God fill him with the Holy Spirit so that he says exactly what needs to be said as he's going down. Let's pray earnestly for that. And look at the scriptures that Luke wrote that they would be referring to, that he would know Theophilus would understand, that we need to understand. Look at Luke chapter 21, where Christ promised, these are again red letter, these are the words of Jesus Christ. But before all of this, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you. So they've had that. They've been persecuted. They've had to run for their lives. Delivering you up to the assemblies and into prisons. This is what happened to James. This is what happened to Stephen. This is now what's happened to Peter. They've been delivered into prisons. Being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. That is exactly what is happening. And so they're looking at the scriptures and saying, Jesus Christ, hallelujah, praise God. Jesus' word is true. Peter is now being brought before kings for the namesake of Jesus Christ. The opportunity now is for a testimony for you. So this is what they will be praying for, that, that the Holy Spirit would, be, would fill Peter so that he could have a faithful testimony, that he could be a faithful witness as Christ was a faithful witness. So, please God, enable him to seize this opportunity to be a faithful witness. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer. This is why Peter's fast asleep. He's not there in angst and anguish, 
thinking, if they ask me this, what will I say? And, 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 and maybe, how do I get out of this? And, and maybe I need to deny Christ. Uh, and that way they'll let me go. And none of that. Sleeping like a baby. Because he doesn't have to worry about what he's going to say. The Spirit will fill him and he'll say what God wants him to say. And the church is praying earnestly that the Spirit fill him so that he will say what God wants him to say. I mean, we are such cowards. We are such spiritual babies, but we think highly of ourselves. These are the words of Jesus Christ. And this is what Peter and the early church were following. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom. And so this is Peter's expectation. This is why he's asleep. Because when he wakes up and it's time for him to be beheaded, he's going to have an opportunity. It'll turn to him an opportunity for testimony. And so Christ will fill his, his mouth. Which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Which is exactly how Stephen's testimony was described. That nobody could withstand him. And it caused him to be put to death. And so this is now Peter's expectation. He witnessed firsthand what happened to Stephen. And you shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolks and, and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death. So James was among this category. He was put to death. And now Peter, he's bound. He's got 16 soldiers all around him. He's in chains. He's in the depth of prison. Herod has set his mind because it pleased the Jews. He really wants to gain, curry their favor. And so this is it. Peter is, um, is in this category to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not a hair of your head perish. Again, this is why Peter can sleep peacefully. He knows that Christ is the firstborn from the dead. And Christ has hair. And so when he's resurrected, he'll have a body like Christ and, and he'll have hair. And that hair will last forever. So that hair will not perish. And now look at uh, Luke 18. Again, another passage dealing with uh, persecution, which we would, do, we would be well advised to pay attention to. Uh, here in Luke 18, verse 1, Christ spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And so they would be looking at these passages, they'd be encouraging each other with this understanding that men ought always to pray, and, not, and that's why they were praying without ceasing. That this is what Christ said, never give up, keep praying. Saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded men. And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, avenge me of mine adversary. And he wouldn't for a while. So, so in other words, the adversary was getting his way. This is important for us to see, because this ties in with the book of Revelation, where the beast is given permission to overcome the saints. And the saints are crying out, but Christ isn't answering yet, because the time of the Gentiles must come to the full. But while Christ is not yet answering, not yet responding, not yet taking vengeance, we must always pray. We must continue to pray and not lose heart. We must follow the scriptures. And so he wouldn't for a while. But afterward he said with himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man. In other words, I don't have to answer to anybody. Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says. So this is what the unjust judge says. And shall not God 
avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. So even though we find ourselves in these very uh, difficult and unfortunate circumstances, not because of any wrong that we've done, but because we are faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ. For his name's sake, we find ourselves persecuted. Some of us are going to be put to death for this. Because of this, we are crying day and night for God to be with us, to support us, to protect us, if, if, if it be his will, but mostly for us to be faithful. And again, if we read the rest of Luke 21, that's what Christ says, to pray always that you can escape these things and be faithful and stand before the Son of Man. So he says here, I tell you, and, and we need to, in another study, explain what it means to escape all these things. It's not out of fear and cowardice. It's really to escape the deceptions and the distractions that could cause us to deny Christ and lose out on salvation. But here he says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. He will. He will respond. However, nevertheless, this is really important that we read this carefully. When the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? Think about this. Christ is saying, when he comes, he's concerned that because he doesn't take vengeance immediately, because he allow, allows the saints to suffer, will they lose heart? Will we lose faith? And I think, you know, we have this, or sometimes we're told, no harm will ever come upon us. God will always protect us. And when we go into the future, when, when the scripture actually says that the beast is given permission to overcome the saints in Revelation 13, we're going against the scripture when we're telling brethren, no matter what, you'll always be protected. So if brethren go into the future thinking, no matter what, I'll always be protected, and then what happens to James happens to them or to their loved ones when the son of man comes will he find faith will they then give up and say oh, god has let us down or will they be like these brethren who are reading the scriptures understanding that some of you will be put to death and that in fact then is faith that when they're praying that peter be faithful as he's put to death that is faith and that is what christ is saying well when when he comes Will we understand the scriptures and will we have the patience of the saints to wait for our Lord and follow the scriptures? And no matter how terrible it, it, it gets, we will always be faithful to the scriptures. We will always be faithful to our Lord. We're not expecting comfort. We're not expecting that no harm will ever come upon us. We are expecting that God's word is true. We'll be persecuted. We'll be imprisoned. Some of us may even be put to death. And as long as it's God's word and we are faithful, not a hair on our head will perish. And so this is the thinking of the early church. Let's go back now to Acts chapter 12, where it says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made for him without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And clearly these are faithful brethren. They're praying around the clock, Maybe it's in shifts. Maybe it's just constant. Everybody all the time. But it's a constant prayer for Peter with the knowledge of the scriptures, the real definition of faith. They're praying according to the scriptures. And so now in verse 14, it says, when, you know, and we just read this, how she opens the door and they're just confused 
when he's standing there. So let's just go back here. So verse 16, uh, they're confused. But he beckoning unto them in verse 17 with the hand to hold their peace. They don't know what's going on. He tells them, quiet, quiet, quiet. He declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Completely unexpected. He didn't expect it. He thought it was a vision. They didn't expect it. And he said, go, show these things unto James and to the brethren. It's really important that they understand this. That the scripture says, some of you will be put to death. Not all of you. And, and the scriptures, clearly Christ can intervene the same way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, others have been saved for God's purpose. Go tell these things to the brethren. And it's going to strengthen them. That we have a purpose. It's not that, you know, my name's Adrian and I'm a Christian and I can just sit back and do nothing and God is going to protect me. That's not it. It's we have a work to do. And as long as God needs us to do that work, He's going to protect us so that we can get that work done. But part of our work is to be martyrs, or could be to be martyrs. And so that's part of the work as well. And whichever way it goes, the same way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego actually said, we're not careful to answer you in this matter, O king. You know, be it known unto you that, you know, our God can save us from the fiery furnace. But if he chooses not to serve us, to save us, that's okay too, because we know he's a faithful God. So... Go and tell these things to the brethren. Now, remember, Luke is writing all of this to Theophilus. And, and he begins this whole passage by saying, Barnabas goes looking for Saul, finds him in Antioch. The prophet rises up, tells him there's a famine. It's going to hit Jerusalem. They raise uh, aid, and they give it to Paul and Barnabas, who come back to Jerusalem. And it was at this time when, when, when Paul and Barnabas are in Jerusalem that Herod now begins this whole process of persecuting the church. And so Paul is here. He's watching all of this. Peter is saying, go and tell it to James, this other James, another James, and to the brethren who, who have not witnessed this. But Paul is right there with Barnabas in Jerusalem. And, and, and Luke wants Theophilus to understand this because this is going to inform Paul's decisions down the road. In fact, when he writes to, to the Philippians when he's in uh, prison in Rome, he says that he fully expects to be released, even though he's in prison and, and possibly going to be sentenced to death, because he would have been informed by this experience. So it says, uh, go and tell these things to the brethren, and then he left and went to another place. So maybe he thinks, okay, uh, I need to go somewhere else because they're probably going to come looking for me right here, just the way I knew to come here. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. Like, they are panicking. So, you know, no small stir means they are freaking out. They have no clue what just happened. What was become of Peter? And when Herod had sought for him, so it's now him to get favor with the Jews. He, he's just looking forward to this. Maybe the Jews are going to accept him finally. So he's like, go and get Peter. I want, I want, to, I want to win grace with the, with the, I want to win favor with the Jews, they couldn't find him. He examined the keepers, so there's 16 men, 16 soldiers, and he commanded that they should be put to death. The same way when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire, they were untouched, and the men that threw them into the fire, the fire burned them to death. So in the same way, these soldiers that were there to do harm to Peter, they're the ones who are put to death. And then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea 
and their abode. Now remember when this passage began that Herod said that he stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. In fact, what happens now is he vexes his own army. So instead of vexing the church, he ends up killing 16 of his own soldiers. And this, is, this chapter is now going to end with him being put to death. Him actually committing suicide in a sense, uh, killing himself. So, so the whole thing backfires. And this is the patience of the saints. That in Revelation it says, He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the, to the, saint, to the, to the churches. This is the patience of the saints. And Christ says, In your patience possess your souls. So we have to have this long view. We have to understand that God is patient. He will avenge us. The enemies of God's people will be put down. But the time of the Gentiles must come to the full. And so we have to have this patience to understand that the evil that these, these men do, it's going, to back, it's going to come back on their own heads. And this is, this is what God says. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So continuing now in Acts 12. And Herod was highly displeased of them of Tyre and Sidon. So he's left Judea and he's gone down into Caesarea and the scripture says these people hated him. They hated him. And so this is why he's trying to be accepted even though he's the king. He's frail, he's a human being, he's insecure, he wants to be liked and he's hated. And so he's trying to do all he can to be accepted. He's an Edomite, they don't accept him. But they came, so even though they hate him, this is just human nature. They hate him. They hate this guy. They can't stand him. They came with one accord to him. So they all like, hey, we hate this guy, but let's all go to him. Why? And having made Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend, they desired peace. So, so even though they hate him, they don't want to argue with him. They don't want to fight him. Why? Because their country was nourished by the king's country. So, so Judea had the grain and, and the, the wheat and the bread and, and the food came from Judea into Tyre and Sidon. So there's no way they can afford to be on bad terms with Herod even though they hate him. So they make friends with his chamberlain and, and they want to get along with him and you know they hate him but let's pretend we love him. So, so Herod, Herod is insecure. They're insecure. This is what Christ said. You, you, you seek favor from one another. You, you want to be highly regarded from each other. But Christ said, I don't seek favor from men. Christ just sought the truth. So here, and upon a set day, Herod, look what he does. So a particular day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel. So he wants to show them just how great he is. He's arrayed in royal apparel. He sat upon his throne. And he made an oration unto them. So this is some great speech that he makes. And the people, remember these people hate him. They can't stand him. They went behind his back. They say all manner of things about him. But in front of his face for the bread and the wheat, the people gave a shout saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. So he just loved this. They just, they're worshiping him. This, he just craves this. He, he just wants to be accepted. And this is what, you know, some of the most ruthless leaders are little insecure children inside. And that's what Herod was, an insecure child. And the people gave a shout saying, it is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord struck him. 
So remember, he, he did this to win favor with the Jews. He, he, he wanted their favor. And then he's just doing all he can to, be impre to impress them, to be accepted by them. And he wanted to vex the church. Instead, he ends up vexing his own army, and now he ends up vexing himself. And immediately the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms. So some sort of terrible sickness, parasites, maggots, whatever, inside him, just eating him up inside. And he gave up the spirit. But the word of God grew and multiplied. So this is what we have to understand, that men set out to vex the church. But it was uh, Tertullian, and you know, Tertullian was basically a, an intellectual idiot. Uh, they call him a church father. Not at all. He was a heretic. But he did say something that was profound. And what he said was, the voice of the, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So even though Herod did sacrifice James, even though Paul was persecuting the church, they had to, they had to run for their lives, they were running everywhere. Every time this kind of persecution happens to the church, it actually causes the church to grow. So we, mustn't, we must see things the way God sees them. And this is, that, this is how the early church understood martyrdom, that it was a blessing. It wasn't, it wasn't something to be afraid of and run from. It was an honor. In fact, you have Christians today who don't have a full understanding, and they're in the Middle East, and they're asking for, they're begging for prayers. And one of the things they're praying for is they're saying, pray that our martyrdom not be taken from us. They want to die faithful to Christ, and they lack understanding. And then we who have understanding, no, nothing must ever come upon us. And that kind of nothing must ever come upon us, Christ says, brother shall betray brother. And if we have this kind of mindset where we're just so full of fear, we are setting ourselves up to become betrayers. But if we, on the other hand, follow our Lord's instruction to fear them not, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. But after they've done that, there's nothing more they can do. And not a hair of your head shall perish. So we have to be really studying these scriptures and settling, in an, settling our hearts to say, we will only fear God. We will not fear what men can do to us. We will only fear God. And this is what we have to pray earnestly for, that God will fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we just have this calm and this peace. And one thing we know, Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And that's what we want the world to know. We want the world to know how wonderful, how awesome, how glorious Jesus Christ is. And, and that's our honor. That's, that's our honor, to declare to the world that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And to invite men to repent and have a relationship with Him. And if we have to die in the process of doing that, well, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And we're happy to, to serve God, our God, our glorious elder brother, our husband in this way. So the word of the God, the word of God grew and multiplied. And notice now, you know, he ends chapter 11 saying Barnabas and Saul came to Jerusalem. And now he ends this whole passage by returning to Barnabas and Saul. He's writing to Theophilus. He's writing to Theophilus about Paul. He wants Theophilus to understand how Paul was influenced, how he developed how he became the apostle.
that he became. And so Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. So they were in Jerusalem this whole time, and they witnessed all of this firsthand. And now they've returned from Jerusalem. And when they had fulfilled their ministry, they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now remember that when Peter was released from prison, where did he go? He went to John Mark's house. Oh, sorry, John Mark's mother's house. So clearly, you know, John Mark would have been there. All the brethren were there. And, and so the indication that we can see here is clearly Barnabas and Paul were also there. And so now it's time for them to leave. They're going to take John Mark with them. So that's the end of uh, Acts chapter 12. Certainly hope that you got a lot out of it. And that I hope that you will look at the early church and the brethren here differently when they are praying earnestly without ceasing for Peter. And then when he's released, they're confused. It's not because they lack faith. In fact, it's because they were full of faith that that wasn't their expectation. And I think we have to change our expectations. The scripture says, all those who desire to live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. It's okay. It's okay because we're seeing beyond this life. We're looking into eternity. We have eternity in us. And we're waiting for that eternity to be revealed in us as we declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God.